Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on National Signing Day, which used to be a lot bigger deal than it is now that there's an early signing period because most of Ohio State's uh, recruiting class of 2022 was already signed in December. 19 players signed then. That makes up most of a class, but a couple players signing today, or at least we're going to assume that they have signed today because as is uh, the reality of podcast recording, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. So uh, we have to anticipate a little bit uh, what will have already happened by the time you're listening to this podcast. So now we're assuming here for the purposes of this podcast that Carson Hinsman and Omari Abor, who have been committed to Ohio State since January, we're going to assume that they have both signed with Ohio State by the time you're listening to this podcast. We're also going to assume that Kristen Miller has not signed with Ohio State because as of the time we're recording this, it sounded likely that he was going to sign with Georgia. So if Kristen Miller has, in fact, signed with Ohio State by the time you're listening to this podcast, that will explain that. But that seemed to be where things were heading at the time we recorded this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. But, you know, thought since it is National Signing Day and since the 2022 class appears to be complete at this point. It, it, this shouldn't be like last year where the class dragged on into July before JT Tui Molowau ended up making his decision around, the, I think it was around the 4th of July that he made his decision, if I remember correctly. Shouldn't be any situations like that this year. Ohio State is already 92 scholarships right now, well over the scholarship limit. So Ohio State not expected to pursue any additional recruits in the 2022 class besides the guys will be signed by the end of the day on Wednesday. Of course, there's always the possibility of something crazy happening like last year when Quinn Ewers reclassified uh, in August and joined uh, the class of 2021 when he was supposed to be in the class of 2022. But don't think Ohio state would like that situation to happen. I think if all goes according to plan, Ohio state's, scholarship recruiting class of 2022 will be done as of Wednesday. So Griffin, when you look at this class, what are your initial thoughts on the class that Ohio state has put together? Well, first of all, I'd just say that, you know, coming out of the early signing period that, you know, the last, the remaining puzzle pieces for Ohio state were a couple of those line pieces on both sides of the ball. And it looks like Ohio State's going to have, you know, addressed those needs, right? With Hero Canoe committing and signing as well before the signing day here on Wednesday. Carson Hinsman from Wisconsin, you know, that's a big deal. Getting a, a highly rated offensive line recruit from that state. <clears throat> Omari Abor as, as well. So so some of those needs, the, the last remaining needs have been pretty much filled there for Ohio State in terms of what they still needed to wrap up in the class. But beyond that, now that we can, you know, kind of look back at the, the, the whole class in totality, I think you've got to be excited, specifically at linebacker for Ohio State, considering that, you know, C.J. Hicks heading that class as a five-star linebacker. The, the state of that position room coming out of 2021 is one that, you know, a little bit in flux, a lot of uncertainty with a, a lot of names there for Ohio State already. But you've got really talented guys coming in, and, you know, you marry that with Jim Knowles, the linebacker guru coming in for Ohio State here. That's got to be a pretty, you know, promising thing to see. And then, you know, just looking at the class as a whole, it's ranked number four in 2022 nationally. As of Tuesday, Ohio State has at least one player at every position, two five-star guys, 17 four-star guys, 
couple of three-star guys as well. It's another great class for Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's the important thing is there's not any obvious holes in this class. Like you said, there's at least one player at every position. So it's and only two players in the entire class are three-star prospects. Those being uh, Ryan Turner and and or not Ryan Turner, sorry, Bennett Christian and Avery Henry. And so you look at the class, Ohio State was able to get high quality players at every position. I mean, even a Bennett Christian's a guy that he's a free star, but we've talked about it before. He's a guy that I think could potentially contribute early because of who he is as a blocker. I think he's a guy who's a really good fit for what Ohio State does. So when you just look at the class as a whole, you know, I think they they hit on you know players at every position. And again, almost everybody's at least a four-star with a couple of five stars. And so, you know, there's no position where it's like, man, Ohio State really missed here. Now, if you want to look at it from the other perspective, you know, I, I think the critique that you could make a, about this class is if you look at the top end guys in the class, you know, the two five stars are CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. Those are the kind of guys you're supposed to get. They're right in your backyard. They're Ohio guys. You're supposed to get those guys. I mean, even, you know, if you scroll, you know, further down, if you look at, you know, I think four of the top eight guys in the class are in-state guys. And so I think, you know, if there's one thing you're going to maybe critique on this class, it's it, you know, especially when you compare it to last year's class, which was just absurd in terms of the uh, amount of talent that was in it. I think you could critique that, you know, there's not quite as much high-end talent from outside of Ohio State's backyard in the class. But then again, and on free ranks, Devin Brown is the number one overall prospect in the class. And so you can't get too hung up on the ratings or the rankings because everybody has their own different views of, of each player. And I think there's a lot of high quality players in this class. I don't think there's nobody in this class that I look at and go, man, why did Ohio State take this guy? Like, I think everybody in this class has the chance to be a really good player. Now, some guys are going to be more, you know, developmental projects. I think, you know, you look at guys like George Fitzpatrick and Avery Henry on the offensive line, you know, they're going to be like some of the other offensive linemen who have come in recent years where those are guys, they're going to need some time to develop. And, you know, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice and will they become the kind of players you think they can be, you know, in their third, fourth, fifth year at Ohio State? Time will tell on that. But, you know, I also think, you know, there, there are some guys in this class for sure that have a chance uh, to contribute early, especially considering that 11 of those guys are already on campus. And, you know, actually, by the time you're listening to this podcast, those guys will might have already talked to the media by the time you're listening to this, because the early enrollees scheduled to meet with the media on Wednesday morning. Again, we're recording this before that, so we may learn some things from them on Wednesday morning that we're not able to talk about on this podcast. But in terms of who those guys are, the 11 early enrollees, CJ Hicks, Devin Brown, Keon Grays, Gabe Powers, Caden Curry, Caleb Burton, Jair Brown, George Fitzpatrick, Ryan Turner, Kai Stokes, Bennett Christian. You know, a lot of, you know, really talented guys in that class. And, you know, I think, you know, several guys in that class who at least have a chance to make an early impact. When you look at that group of early enrollees, Griffin, who's the one guy you're most excited to watch this spring? 
Well, I've got more than one, Dan, but and these might seem like obvious answers here, but in terms of guys that, that might be able to produce right away, you know, I mean, you have to start with a guy like CJ Hicks. I mean, when we were doing our depth chart projections for the linebacker room, I mean, you had him kind of in the mix there for potential playing time right away. So I think him and Gabe Powers looking at those two guys at the linebacker position, seeing if they do anything interesting positionally, maybe with Powers has been hinted to in the past with him. And then Devin Brown as well, not a guy that's going to necessarily make an impact as a true freshman, but I think seeing, you know, kind of getting to compare the arm talent in terms of the eye test to a guy like Kyle McCord, seeing if that's going to be a legitimate competition in some regards this offseason. Well, Griffin, I asked you for one so that then I could pick one of those two to talk about. But <laughs> yeah, those would be the top two guys on, on my list as well, because, you know, like you said with CJ Hicks, I mean, I think very, those two are interesting for two different reasons, because nobody's expecting Devin Brown to, to really play significant snaps this year. Obviously, CJ Stroud is the starter. You know, Kyle McCord's the number two quarterback. Maybe Devin Brown can push Kyle McCord for that number two job this year, but you know, that, you know, unless something happens to CJ Stroud, Ohio State is not going to be looking for Devin Brown to see significant playing time this year. So the reason that he's intriguing to watch is just to see the potential future of the position, because a year from now, we could be talking about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown competing for the starting job. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he looks in spring practices, in the spring game, moving forward into fall camp uh, to see, to get a gauge for you know, whether he's a guy that can seriously compete for that starting job next year. Cause even though I don't think that competition is necessarily going to really start until next year, I still think you're going to be able to get an idea by the end of this year of where Devin Brown is at and how ready he is going to be to compete for that starting job in 2023. But in terms of CJ Hicks, you know, I, he's a guy that, I think there's a chance, and of all the guys in this class, he's the guy that stands out of. If there's one guy in this class that's going to go out there this spring and is going to be so impressive that he shows he has to be on the field as a freshman, C.J. Hicks is the obvious answer to that question because he's a top 10 overall prospect in the country. He's coming in at a position where Ohio State clearly needs to be better at linebacker. and so. I wouldn't be shocked at all if CJ Hicks comes in this spring and, you know, has a Denzel Burke kind of rise where, you know, he proves that he belongs on the field and he earns a major role, if not even a starting role as a freshman. I'm not predicting that yet. I'm not predicting right now that he's going to be the starter by the season opener, but I'm certainly not ruling it out because, I mean, I've watched CJ play multiple times. You know, I think he's a great talent. I think, I think, Coming in early is big for him because he is a guy that needs to get a little bit bigger before he's going to be ready to, to be a Big Ten linebacker. So I think the fact that he's going through winter workouts right now with Mickey Marotti is huge. You know, I think getting him bigger, getting him stronger is going to be a huge thing for him. But I think just in terms of athleticism, in terms of having the natural instincts and a nose for a football, I think C.J. Hicks has those things. And I think that, you know, if he has a really good spring and a, a really good summer, it's certainly possible that he could be a major part of the Ohio State defense right away. And then, Dan, one other guy, I know we've been kind of banging this drum a little bit um, here in the last couple of weeks, but a guy that people might not be thinking of as, oh, it's this freshman that's going to come in and you know play right away, but a guy like Bennett Christian, just because of the, the strange situation at tight end for Ohio State with not having necessarily that, that Jeremy Ruckert 
replacement in terms of the, the prototypical tight end that they would like to have in that role that he could uh, potentially come in and, and make a little bit of noise as well. Two other guys that I'm very interested to watch this spring, not necessarily because I expect them to make an immediate impact, but because I'm curious to see how they're going to fit in Jim Knowles' defense are, are Gabe Powers and Caden Curry, because I think those are both guys that have some versatility that potentially do some different things. And, you know, when you think about that Leo position that Jim Knowles is expected to bring into the Ohio State defense, you know, Gabe Powers is a guy who could be a natural fit for that in terms of, you know, a guy who's, you know, played linebacker in high school, but he has the frame to where as he continues to get bigger, you know, playing that kind of a hybrid defensive end role might be perfect for him. So, you know, I don't know what I expect from him as a freshman because he is only, you know, 215 pounds right now. He's going to have to get bigger before he's, you know, ready to play that role on a full-time basis. So again, he's a guy that I think being on campus right now and going through uh, strength and conditioning workouts at Ohio State all off season, I think that's a really big thing for Gabe Powers and improving his chances of playing early. I don't necessarily expect him to have as big a role right away as I think a CJ Hicks could, but I am interested to see where he's lining up in spring practices and what kind of role they might be preparing him for. Cause you know, we'll talk about Jim Knowles more a little bit later in the show that whole, you know, what are they going to do with the Leo and the defensive ends? That to me is one of the most interesting things going into this spring because I just don't know what they're going to do. And Caden Curry is another guy you could factor into that because he's a guy who's got some versatility to where he could theoretically end up anywhere from playing Leo to playing defensive tackle. I think probably that it's in the middle that, you know, strong side defensive end position is probably where he ends up. That would be my guess, you know, playing you know, backing up guys like JT Tuimolowau and Tyler Friday at that spot. I think that's probably the best fit for him, but he's another guy that he's got some versatility to potentially do a variety of different things. And, you know, I know Garrick was really impressed by Caden watching him at the all American bowl. So again, he's another guy, you know, I, I, you look at the numbers on the defensive line, how many experienced guys they have returning. I think it's going to be tough for any of these freshmen to break into the rotation right away, but I would not rule it out with Caden Curry, especially since he's going to be at practice this spring. As tantalizing a prospect as it is for fans to think, you know, which of these freshmen is going to burst onto the scene right away. The reality is for most guys, it's going to take a few years, especially with the other talent that's already stacked on top of those guys at Ohio state. So let's kind of look down the line in, in three or four years, let's say Dan, the biggest stars from this class that could emerge you know, maybe if that's not in 2022, that could be several years from now. And I think defensively, you have to think about one guy in particular when asking this question, and it's got to be Sonny Styles, right? Because I mean, no one's really expecting a guy that reclassified to come in early this year. No one's really going to expect him to actually go out there and start as a guy that's, you know, might need a little bit more development and maybe to put on, you know, more, spend more time in the weight room with Mickey Marotti and things like that. But I think when you just look at his freakish, athleticism, his freakish proportions as a 6'4 guy playing safety, the potential to, to have kind of a hybrid role on the defense for Ohio State. I mean, he just, he screams star potential for me when I look at this class, yeah, but he, not right away. 
yeah, he's the guy that I predict that in like mid-September, we'll, we'll ask for listener questions and they're going to be asking, where's Sonny Styles? Because <laughs> I, I do think, you know, him coming in as a 17-year-old in the summer, it, it's going to be tough for him to you know, really, you know, make an immediate impact, especially because, you know, I think if, you know, listening to Jim Knowles talk on Monday, you know, it seems like, you know, there's going to be a, a similar position to that bullet position, whether, you know, strong safety, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, I think Ronnie Hickman's going to play that position. I think Court Williams could potentially, you know, be in that position too. And so to me, I think Sonny Styles plays a similar role to a guy like a Ronnie Hickman to where, you know, I think we will see him play this year, but I don't think it's going to be a lot. I don't think it's going to be a lot of significant snaps, but I think you look ahead to, you know, next year, you know, when Ronnie Hickman might, he might be in the NFL at that point, you know, 2023, I think Sonny's a guy definitely, you know, by his second year at Ohio state who could potentially play a major role. And a guy who I definitely think has the potential to be a star on Ohio state's defense in a couple years. So yeah, I think, you know, he's, you know, right at the top of the list of, of guys that, you know, you look at as potential stars in this class. Again, you know, certainly CJ Hicks is another guy who, you know, falls into that category. I mean, you know, yeah, we, you know, mentioned Devin Brown. I mean, if he wins the starting a year from now, then, you know, certainly, you know, he's a guy, he's got the potential to be, you know, Ryan Day's next star quarterback. We'll see how all of that plays out. Yeah, I think, you know, a a couple other guys that, you know, to me that I look at who, you know, aren't quite as highly rated as those guys, but, you know, who I'm really intrigued by coming in, Keon Grays. I know I mentioned him last week. You know, he's drawn a lot of Chris Olave comparisons. You know, he's a guy, he's a really good route runner, a really fluid player. I think he's going to be a really good player at Ohio State. You know, he's a guy that, you know, was, did not have a lot of attention as a recruit before he committed to Ohio State. He's steadily moved up the rankings since then to where he's now ranked as the number 87 overall prospect in the class and is, is actually ranked as the second highest receiver in, in the class now because because Caleb Burton, who was at one point ranked as a – five-star he's now his composite ranking is actually now 131st in the class which is not to say that Caleb Burton's you know can't be a great receiver I think he certainly has the potential to be that but at one you know I feel like Caleb Burton is still talked about as the guy who's like the guy in this wide receiver class and I think he could be but I think you know I I wouldn't be surprised again if, if Grays is the guy who maybe makes the most immediate impact out of those guys and then, you know, another guy I'm really intrigued by, not necessarily as an immediate impact. I think it's a stretch to think he can make an immediate impact, but a guy with just what he can become is Hero Canoe because he's only played two years of American football. You know, he's from Germany. And so, yeah, I think his first year is most likely to be a redshirt year, most likely to be a development year. But you just look at him physically. I mean, a, a guy who's almost 300 pounds who moves as well as he does, he's a rare physical specimen. And I think he's a guy that, you know, he starts developing this year with Larry Johnson. If you can really harness that potential that he has, you know, I think he has the potential to be an elite player. You know, I think, you know, he's ranked 128th, but I I think he's a guy that if you were just going based off pure potential, 
you know, he, he's a top 50 prospect in this class. He's not ranked that high because he's raw. But I think if you're just going off pure potential of what he could become, I, I think he's a guy that if he ends up being one of the biggest stars in this class, I will not be surprised one bit. And then perhaps not the biggest stars, but a couple of other guys that maybe are at the bottom of the list when it, turn, when it comes to how these guys are rated here coming into this class. Avery Henry, I mean, that's the lowest rated guy in the entire class. That's a huge man at 6'6", uh, out of uh, St. Clairsville in Ohio, playing an offensive tackle for the Buckeyes. I mean, you wouldn't be shocked if a, a three-star guy like that ends up, you know, turning himself into a, a starting caliber tackle at Ohio State eventually, even, you know, with his ranking being what it is. Another guy, Kai Stokes, I know you uh, talked to him pretty recently, did a piece on him, him being a, an, an athlete guy coming out of this class, potentially playing safety for the Buckeyes. Track star speed, 6'2". You have to love that length and a combination of, you know, intangible things as well as speed for the Buckeyes secondary as well. A couple of guys that, you know, aren't going to get the most buzz coming out of this class, but might be uh, sleeper guys to develop down the line. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him do it before with Dewan Jones taking a huge guy who's not highly rated and turning him into a starter on the offensive line. So I think that's the hope again with an Avery Henry is that you take a guy with his kind of measurables and you can develop him, you know, into that kind of player. He's a project. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get with a guy like Avery Henry, but the physical tools are there. It's it's all going to be a matter of development with him. And can he develop into, you know, the kind of player you think he has the potential to be. So he's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure over the next few years. You know, I think another you know, lower ranked guy who, you know, you know, probably hasn't gotten a ton of hype because of where he's ranked, but a guy that I'm intrigued to see what he becomes is Dallin Hayden, because Dallin Hayden was a guy that he really was, you know, their guy at running back. He was the guy that Tony Alford really wanted at running back and went after. And yeah, he's only ranked as the, the 26th ranked running back in the class, but, you know, Tony Alford wanted him over some other guys who were ranked higher than him. So, you know, clearly Ohio State believes in him. They think he has the potential uh, to be, you know, a really good running back at Ohio State. And, you know, we've seen it, you know, if a guy like Mayan Williams, a guy who was, you know, a lower ranked guy, you know, a couple of years ago, and, you know, he's already beaten out, you know, several guys who were ranked higher than him as recruits. So Dallin Hayden, again, a guy I don't think is going to make an immediate impact because they've still got Travion Henderson for two more years. They've still got, you know, Mayan Williams for at least another year. So you know, he's going to have to wait his turn a little bit, but I think, you know, he's a guy that in a couple years, uh, I think has the potential, you know, to be a, a quality running back for Ohio state. And, and I'm intrigued to see what he can become. Now, Dan, on, on Monday, we got to talk for the first time to some of Ohio state's new assistant coaching hires, Jim Knowles, of course, Justin Fry, Tim Walton, Perry uh, Eliano as well. You got to talk to all those guys for about a half an hour each. <clears throat> and we heard from Ryan Day for the first time since the, the uh, aftermath of the Rose Bowl. So it was a, a big day in that regard. What were some of your biggest takeaways and, and early impressions from getting to talk to all of those guys on Monday? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I was certainly impressed talking to all four of them. You know, I feel like every time new coaches get introduced, we talk about how impressed we are and it's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. So I try not to try not to lay it on too thick, but, you know, I think, you know, 
you know, a couple things that, you know, stood out to me, you know, certainly, you know, talking to Jim Knowles, I mean, you could see, you know, very smart guy and, and a guy who is confident in, in his ability. You can, you can tell that, you know, I mean, a couple of times he was asked about, you know, being a fresh start, fixing the defense. And he said, yeah, I mean, that's what I do. That's what I have a reputation for that. At, at the same time, he also clearly recognizes that this is not a four-year project like at Oklahoma state. This is a one-year project at, at Ohio state. He has to engineer an immediate turnaround. And I think that's my biggest question about Jim Knowles is you hear about this being, you know, somewhat complicated defense. There's a lot that goes into it. Can he turn this defense around in just one year? Or is it going to be more of a process? Because there's not as much patience for a process when you're at Ohio State. Again, Ohio State's going to expect immediate results. And I think the good thing is he knows that. And he, 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 he recognizes that. And I also think he feels confident because he knows the talent that he's inheriting at Ohio State is at a different level than he's ever had anywhere else. You know, he said it himself. He doesn't think Ohio State is far off. Now, I'm sure some of you are listening out there and going, did you see what happened at the end of last year? I think uh, there's plenty of Ohio State fans who probably feel like the Buckeyes are a bit far off on defense right now. But, you know, I think you look at the talent that's there. You, know, you have a lot of guys who were young players last year, but now some experience under their belt. I think there's reason for, for Jim Knowles and I think the other defensive coaches coming in as well to have confidence about you know what this defense can become in just one year's time. I mean, we saw Jeff Halfley do it three years ago, and I think you know you get the feeling of you know this feels more like when Ryan Day brought in Jeff Halfley three years ago, in the sense of you know th- this is a guy who really knows how to architect a defense and, and who's really going to be the guy calling the shots and it's more that's being more publicly stated this time around but when you think back to three years ago Jeff Halfley I think you could read between the lines and you could tell that he was the guy who was going to be calling the shots but he was just a co-defensive coordinator like him and Greg Madison were both co-defensive coordinators they weren't really making it clear who was going to be the guy really calling the shots now Ryan Day is leaving no doubt about it he, he keeps calling Jim Knowles the head coach of the defense which says to me, Jim Knowles is going to have the autonomy to really make the decisions on defense. I think he played a huge role in hiring Tim Walton and and Perry Lionel. I think, you know, he was very big in those decisions. And, you know, you could tell that, you know, Ryan Day is going to trust Jim Knowles to really uh, lead the way on defense. That's what you're paying him uh, $1.9 million to do. So, you know, I got a good impression from you know, first time talking to Jim Knowles. I don't know if there was anything he said that like blew me away or that like I, you know, it was like a huge takeaway from it. But, you know, you get the impression that, you know, he's a guy that's coming in with a plan, with a vision for what this defense is going to be. And, you know, he knows how to do it. He knows how to turn a defense around. This is a different scenario from two years ago when Kerry Combs was coming in. And he had no experience as a coordinator. Jim Knowles has that experience. He, he's done it before at multiple places. And so, you know, I think you can see a quiet confidence in him that, you know, he's going to be able to do it again at Ohio State. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things that struck me uh, talking to several of those guys is like, 
they are obviously so excited to jump on the opportunity to come to Ohio State. And, and Perry Lino, I know, said that, you know, if he feels like it's the best job in the country. And, and he, he said he didn't even envision this being on his radar maybe a couple of years ago. So the fact that he's here, he's obviously extremely excited to be here. But they all did, you know, recognize and, and talk about the fact that the pressure and the expectations are super high and there's national championship level expectations here. And so like quickly, you know, that excitement's going to come with that added pressure of, man, the, the fan base is not going to be very patient with uh, a lot of these potential turnarounds in terms of defensive performance. And I think that's, what's kind of interesting when you, you contrast that to Justin Fry, which was of course the only offensive new offensive hire we talked to is that he said, you know, I don't have to reinvent the wheel here because look how good the offense already is. I mean, you know, small changes, I think, are, are going to be expected in, in some regard when it comes to the offensive line and, and maybe the run game and things of that nature. But he's one guy out of that group that I think, you know, not as much will be expected of immediately in terms of these immediate 180 degree turnarounds that I think a lot of people are expecting on the defensive side. Yeah, I mean, he said it multiple times. Yeah, he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. He doesn't need to come in and you know, make any major changes because Ohio State's offense is already really good. I mean, Ohio State's offense was ranked number one in the country in both points and yards per game last season. So Justin Fry knows he doesn't need to come in and do anything drastically different. And I think the thing that, you know, struck me the most with Justin Fry was just how personable he was. He seemed very loose. He seemed very comfortable in that setting. And where that matters is when we talk about recruiting, because, you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, one of the reasons why Greg Stadrow is not on staff anymore is because the offensive line recruiting had not quite been up to Ohio State standard over the last few years. And when you talk to Justin Fry, you can immediately get a sense of this guy is going to know how to connect with these players. This guy has a warm personality that is going to, you know, attract players to want to, you know, work with him. I mean, I know when he was asked about Dewan Jones, he, he immediately started cracking jokes. And, you know, I just think that, you know, when you could kind of get that sense from somebody, you know, if, you know, they have that personality, you know, it's going to, you know, radiate in the program. I mean, I think Jeff Halfley was a guy that I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago. He was a guy that like the first time we talked to him, you could just get the sense that like, this guy knows what he's doing and recruits are going to want to play for this guy. Cause he just gave off that kind of vibe. He just, you know, spoke in a way that both made it clear that he knew what he was doing, but also was, you know, very comfortable to talk to. And I think I, I got that same kind of vibe from, from Justin Fry, which again, you know, he's got to prove that he, he, he can, Coach, I mean, he has proven that he can coach, but he's got to he's got to prove that he can, you know, lead a lead offensive lines at Ohio State. But I think in terms of recruiting, and you think of a guy that out of all these guys might have the most important recruiting job ahead of him this year because Ohio State really needs to land some top offensive tackles in that twenty three class, and they seem like they're in a good spot. But Justin Fry is the guy who's now got to close the deal with guys like Chase Basantis and Luke Montgomery and. Just my first impressions of him uh, are very strong. And, you know, based on what, you know, recruits have said about him, it seems like he's made a strong impression on them too. 
Well, I actually thought he had the best answer maybe of, of any of those coaches when they were asked about, you know, what does having the block O do for you on the recruiting side? Because, you know, a bunch of them did get asked about that. And they all kind of said, I mean, yeah, it does, it, help, it does help a lot. But Fry was quick to say, yeah, it helps. But you still, at the end of the day, have to develop those relationships and recruit a guy regardless of what the logo is. And I thought that was just a, a good uh, take on that question. I know that, you know, you spent some time with, you know, both Perry Eliano and Tim Walton. I spent some time, you know, talking to Tim Walton too, but just, you know, what was your sense from talking to both of those guys about what they're going to bring to the secondary? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because the past couple of years, Ohio State's defensive coordinator has been, you know, a, a secondary oriented guy, of course, in, in Halfley's case, a, a co-defensive coordinator. But still, this year you have Jim Knowles being the defensive coordinator. He's working with the linebackers, but he still wanted to have two really credentialed secondary coaches working hand in the secondary. And so it's going to be interesting because, you know, now the defensive court, the head coach of the defense, if you will, won't have his hands as much in the secondary, but those guys have so much experience. One thing that, that was interesting, an interesting anecdote, I thought those two guys actually have worked together a little bit in a small capacity before, I guess, I guess in Miami a few years ago, there was some professional development seminar or something like that, that they got to work with each other at. And uh, Perry uh, Eliano said that the two really hit it off and had great chemistry at that event. So they'll be working uh, in tandem this year. I know Tim Walton's, you know, referred to as the secondary coach technically, but he'll be coaching corners. Perry Eliano will be coaching safeties. He has a lot of experience coaching both in his career. He was a safety himself back in the day. So, yeah, I think it's, it certainly seems promising for those guys, especially when you look at their track record and Ryan day in particular, I thought he sounded really, you know, reverent in when talking about those guys and, and what they're going to bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, we'll see. And again, you know, with, with Walton, I think the big question is, you know, recruiting, you know, because he's been in the NFL. I think the last time he coached in college was 2007. So a lot has changed in that regard. I mean, I know, you know, somebody even made the point about, you know, why doesn't he have a Twitter account yet? And he did say that's coming, but there's a lot that's changed in recruiting since he was last in college football. So I think, you know, he's got a lot to prove there. You know, I know, you know, you know, Perry, you know, did a great job at Cincinnati. And so, you know, you would think that, you know, that's going to translate over to Ohio State, but he is going from coaching corners to coaching safety. So, you know, a lot for them to actually prove, you know, once the season starts, once the game begins. But, you know, you do get, again, both of them, you know, very personable kind of guys. You know, you can see, you know, them being guys that, you know, players would have a lot of respect for and would want to play for. And certainly at Tim Walton, you know, having that NFL background, being able to say, hey, I've, coach Jalen Ramsey. I've, you know, I've coached, you know, other guys who have gone to, to play in Pro Bowl. I know what it takes to get you to the NFL. And he mentioned that when he was asked about, you know, how he thinks that can help him in recruiting. So I think that's something that he's already using out on the recruiting trail as he starts uh, recruiting defensive backs for Ohio State. And I thought it was just clear in, in the whole introduction in general, this is kind of a, a next evolution under the Ryan Day reign here at Ohio State. Because he said in the press conference, he was talking to us, he said that from 2018 to 2019, when he first took over that first year, there was a lot of, at the time, a lot of questions to Ryan Day were about, you know, how are you changing things in the program? Or is this basically just, you know, still Urban Meyer's program, basically with, with somebody else running it. Now, I think it, we're starting to see Ryan Day kind of put his imprint on the program more with this next change here, especially on defense and turning it over to Jim Knowles and implementing now this kind of new scheme that will uh, have 
plenty of time to get into that more, you know, this offseason as well, in terms of what the differences will actually look like schematically for the defense. But Ryan Day said Ohio State needed a fresh start on defense, and that's what he thought Ohio State needed to have a, its best chance to win. And when you have the offense that Ohio State has, the top offense in the country, you need to be able to, you know, win, win more games and potentially put yourself in position to win a national championship. And I think he, he believes that this defensive change will allow Ohio State maybe to do that. And I think he's right. I think Ohio State did need a fresh start on defense. I think, you know, he acknowledged it himself that, you know, he was asked about, did you consider, you know, the possibility of just tweaking things a little bit? And he said, I, I did, but he, but, you know, I feel like that's what we've done the last couple of years. And that, that is what they did the last couple of years. You know, I think a lot of people questioned last year, you know, you, your defense struggled. You lose Greg Madison and all you do is promote Parker Fleming. You don't make any changes to the defensive staff. You don't bring in anyone else to help coordinate the defense. And clearly that didn't work. It, it just didn't, it just didn't work. And, you know, I think the other thing that is important again, too, is that it does seem like he is fully trusting Jim Knowles to lead the defense and that he's going to let Jim Knowles just run the defense and install the scheme that he thinks is best. Because I, I think when he brought Kerry Combs in two years ago, you know, immediately there was a lot of talk about, well, this is still the scheme that Ryan Day wants to run. And Kerry Combs has to come in and run that scheme. And I just don't think that ever worked. I just don't think that ever meshed. I think bringing in somebody who didn't have coordinator experience to then come in and be the defensive play caller and run your scheme, that just didn't work. And I think Ryan Day learned from that, which he had to. I think he learned that, no, I've got to go out and I've got to go get a guy who knows how to really run the defense at the elite level. And then I've got to let him do his job because you know, he knows offense is his area of expertise. And, you know, he made it clear yesterday that he's still going to continue to spend most of his time with the offense. You know, I think there was some, you know, speculation out there with, you know, especially if the promotions of, you know, Tony Alford and Brian Hartline, that, you know, maybe he would, you know, step back from, you know, offensive play calling a little bit. Maybe he would, you know, take on kind of more of a CEO role. And, you know, he gave no indication of that on Monday. He, it, it seemed very clear that he plans to continue spending most of his time with the offense. But in order to do that, the defensive staff has to be on point, you know. And, you know, I think there's also the point of it, too, of, you know, I, I think like Bill Landish wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that like, you know, this, you know, I mean, Ryan Day's done a great job at Ohio State, he, you know, I mean, he, you know, so far, I mean, I think, you know, I think he's proven he's one of the best coaches in the country, but he's only going to get so many chances to do this, to overhaul his staff. You know, at some point that reflects back on him. And so he has to get this one right. And I think he realizes that he has to get it right with the defensive staff this time. And so, you know, I think that's why a, a quote unquote fresh start was necessary. And I think he really believes that, you know, these guys are going to be the right guys to do the job, but they have to, you know, you, you, you've had two years of substandard play on defense. You've got to get back to that level that Ohio state's supposed to be at. And so, you know, I, I think he's really trusting in Jim Knowles to, to lead that effort and, you know, ideally allow him to spend even more time focusing on the offense. 
Yeah, we've talked a lot about the coaches, but Brian Day also broke some personnel news as well during that press conference because he was asked, you know, what about guys like Jerron Cage, Taraja Mitchell? Like, what's going on with those guys? Because we haven't heard any concrete, you know, we haven't seen any social media announcement from those guys about if they're coming back or not. Brian Day basically said, oh, yeah, all those guys are coming back. So, you know, Jerron Cage, Taraja Mitchell, Maoteote, like we said, we already knew about Mitch Rossi, Ruggles coming back. The one really interesting one kind of was Seven Banks, of course, who's had a strange year, to say the least, for Ohio State in his fourth season. Brian Day said that he will be moving on from the program, but that he would also be talking to Banks and his family the next day. So we still don't exactly know what's going on with that for sure. But it, it seems to be an interesting situation for sure. I don't know if I'm surprised necessarily about any of those decisions that Minbuck asked us that if we were surprised by any of those, I would just say that you still kind of wonder where Taraja Mitchell and Nayoteote fit into things at linebacker, given how their seasons went, but that's, I'm not surprised that they came back. I just still have uncertainties about where they fall into everything. Yeah. I'm not surprised by any of them, honestly, I mean, I think this was a year that there were really in terms of all the decisions as a whole, there really weren't any surprises. I mean, I think really, if you're going to say anything was a surprise, it would maybe be Master Teague going pro. But I don't think we really expected him to be back. I think maybe we thought he would transfer. But, you know, I don't really think there were any surprises here. So, again, going back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, yeah, I think in terms of NFL draft decisions, I think everything went as well as it possibly could have for Ohio State in terms of, you know, getting all these guys back. You know, the, I don't really know what the whole, you know, the seven bank situation is weird. I mean, he hasn't actually commented on it publicly himself. And so we'll see if he decides to do that at some point and what the next step is for him. But, you know, in, in terms of, you know, him moving on, you know, certainly wish him all the best with whatever's next for him. We still don't know exactly what that is, but it, it did sound on Monday, like that will not be returning to play at Ohio state. But, you know, I think, you know, in terms of all the guys who are returning, I mean, it's great. The only thing is Ohio state right now has 92 guys on scholarship. So there is going to have to be some before the season starts. And I think that's something to keep in mind for those of you who may be inclined to come April to May to freak out when guys start entering the transfer portal, because guys are going to have to enter the transfer portal. Ohio State is going to at least seven guys are going to have to leave for Ohio State to get to the 85 man limit. And so there's going to be some departures from this program. Ryan Day didn't seem too concerned about it. He, he seems to think everything will you know work itself out in that regard, which it most likely will. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be guys who, you know, when spring practice is over, say, well, I'm, I'm still not where I want to be on the depth chart. You know, they have until I believe May 1st to enter the portal and still play next year. And so I'm sure you're going to see a lot of guys in that, you know, late April time frame, you know, after the spring game say, you know, it's, it's time for me to go somewhere else where I might have a chance to play this year. But, you know, realistically, if guys don't do that on their own, the coaching staff may have to nudge a few guys into the portal because uh, they are seven over the limit right now, which again, I think it's going to work itself out, but it's not an insignificant number to be seven over the limit right now. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation. And Ryan Day, you know, did seem unconcerned, but he also did say, you know, it is something we are going to have to deal with. So, so that is something to watch for sure. Grand Lake Selena asked us about something we kind of already addressed, which was 
the recruiting chops for a lot of these coaches because they just haven't been at, you know, the high profile program that Ohio State is necessarily in terms of the expectations for recruiting. And I think the answer honestly is, you know, that that's why all those coaches got asked about you, know, like how much does having the block O, you know, on your shirt help? Because I think those guys being in, the, in those positions, Ohio State sells itself to a certain extent. And of course you have to be a, you know, a top level recruiter as well, because if you look at, you know, coach stud, he, he, it, it didn't always sell itself with coach stud. Right. And so, you know, but I don't really have any concerns with that as of now, especially after talking to some of those guys, you brought up Tim Walton. That's a guy that, you know, his NFL experience sells itself to a certain extent. And we talked to Ryan day about that as well. It is definitely a storyline that they haven't had to recruit at this level, but I don't think it's something to necessarily concern yourself with. If you're an Ohio state fan until you see that they aren't capable of, of pulling, you know, certain caliber recruits. It's pronounced Salina because because I've made that mistake before and then he uh, corrected me. So it's Grand Lake Salina, not Salina. But uh, I'll take note of that. I'll take note of that. To the to the larger point, yeah. I mean, I think I think they also have to prove themselves. I mean, none of these guys have landed a commitment yet, so I'm not gonna go out here and say, oh yeah, they're all doing a great job because we don't know yet. I mean, they, they have to prove that. The next year or two is gonna gonna prove that. I don't come away from, you know, our first impressions of them thinking, oh, none of these guys will be able to recruit. I think they are all going to be able to recruit. I think, you know, the overall feedback on those guys has been positive so far, but, you know, I think they have to prove it now. I think, you know, they all have to prove it, you know, again, whether it's Fry landing some elite offensive linemen, you know, whether it's, you know, Walton and Eliano getting, you know, in the mix for some of the top DBs in the class, you know, if Jim Knowles, I mean, Knowles isn't a guy who's known for recruiting. He's known for, you know, leading a defense, coordinating a defense. And that's why he was hired. And so I don't, I don't think they're necessarily expecting Knowles to be an ace recruiter at the same time. He is the only linebackers coach. So at least at that linebacker position, a position where, you know, clearly Ohio state hasn't been quite where it should be the last few years. He is going to have to be the guy who brings in elite linebackers there. So I do think that's a question there for him you know, in terms of, you know, can he go out and get those elite guys? I think that was one area where Al Washington was doing really well, bringing in guys like CJ Hicks, like Gabe Powers. He was a lead recruiter for, for Sonny Styles. I think Jim Knowles has to go prove that. I think at the same time, I think hiring a guy because he knows how to lead a defense was a lot more important than hiring a guy because he's a good recruiter in, in this scenario. And so, you know, I, I don't think that, Knowles has to be an ace recruiter to be a great hire for Ohio State, but certainly he does have to be able to go out and get some top linebackers because he's going to be the lead recruiter for those guys. And so, again, I, I think time will tell. I think we have to see what happens there in, in terms of recruiting those guys. But, you know, I, I think the, the first impressions are positive. You know, you just don't know yet because the reality is, None of these guys, at least in recent history, have been at a school like Ohio State where they've been recruiting the kind of prospects that Ohio State is going after. You know, Tim Walton might have some experience in that from the 2000s, but a lot has changed in recruiting since then. And so I think all these guys still have to prove that when they're battling the likes of Alabama and Clemson and Michigan and whoever for the top prospects in the country that, that they can go win those battles. They have to prove that. 
but I, I don't sit here today and think they're not going to be able to do that. It's just, we got to see it. OSU bias asks us two guys on both sides of the ball that need to take a leap next year in order for Ohio state to make the playoffs. I've got some here on the defensive line in particular. I think you got to look at some of those defensive tackles like a Jerron cage. Now that we know he's coming back for sure. Teron Vincent as well. There's a lot of those guys who can have a Devon Hamilton esque, you know, season for them in that position, a late career emergence because those guys have played a lot of snaps now, but who's going to be the star defensive tackle, especially with a guy like Haskell Garrett, the best tackle in that group now gone. I think another guy is Zach Harrison as well. We've talked about him a lot. He's coming back. He still hasn't had a, a true breakout season for Ohio State necessarily. He's been good. He hasn't been spectacular though. And I think especially if we're going to see some of those younger guys like JT and Jack Sawyer playing a lot more at defensive end that you're going to have a guy like Zach Harrison really leading the way in terms of productivity. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different guys you could name. I mean, I think, you know, offensively, you know, you look at, you know, again, a guy like a Paris Johnson, who's moving over to play left tackle after playing right guard last year. You know, that's, you know, moving into that prime position on the offensive line. I think he's certainly a guy that you need to see emerge as that elite player this year. You know, now that he's going to be starting at left tackle, you know, you know, I mean, even continuing on the offensive line, I mean, guys like, you know, Dewan Jones, seeing him take that next step, Donovan Jackson, you know, Luke Whipler, just seeing all those guys, you know, take that next step and become elite players. I think that's going to be big because we know they've got a ton of talent at the skill positions. I think, you know, having that elite offensive line is going to be key on that side of the ball. But certainly, you know, on defense, I mean, you know, I look at, you know, linebackers, I look at guys like Steel Chambers. Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg. I mean, those are the guys who really have experience at linebacker. So, you know, if a CJ Hicks can come in and, and be an immediate star, great. But I think, you know, guys like, you know, Steel Chambers, you know, Cody Simon, you need to see them take that leap to really become guys that they can consistently rely on because they flashed at times last year, but they couldn't consistently rely on them in the big games. And so, you know, I look at guys like that, you know, needing them to take that leap. You know, I think, you know, just in terms of staying healthy, like I think a Cam Brown's a guy that we've seen play well at times. Now we need to see him be able to play for a full season because with seven banks moving on, you know, he's the clear number two guy after Denzel Burke. So, you know, I think he's a guy that you need to see, you know, really, you know, solidify himself as a guy who is a, you know, full-time starting corner who could play at an elite level. And then, yeah, I mean, I think Zach Harrison is a guy who jumps to mind as a guy who, you know, really needs to, you know, be that star for them up front. And, you know, again, like you said, you know, defensive tackles as well. Certainly, you know, I think you need a guy to really be a presence in barracks. I don't know if they really had that this past year in terms of stopping the run. Like you said, I don't think they had that Tommy Togi, that Devon Hamilton. So whether that can be a Jerron Cage or a Ty Hamilton or a Ty Leak Williams, Mike Hall, whoever that could be, I think they need somebody in that defensive tackle group to really step up and be a real presence in there, especially now that Haskell Garrett is gone. And Daniel, your namesake, Daniel, would like to know, any idea on a date for the spring game? What have we heard in that regard? Yeah, Ohio State hasn't confirmed anything yet, but it does seem like April 16 is probably a likely day for that. You know, I think even if you just look at the calendar, I know – that, you know, the Elite 11 just recently announced their regional dates, and one of them is in Ohio on April 9. So I'm guessing they would not do that 
the same day as the Ohio State spring game, that would not make much sense. And if you consider that early to mid-April timeframe is typically when the spring game takes place, I think April 16 is the logical date. So nothing confirmed there yet, but all signs point to April 16 with practices starting, you know, probably around that second week of March. All right, Dan, let's get into some hoops talk real quick here as we start to wrap things up. Kind of a weird month for Ohio State. I mean, in December, that was when they had the the 22-day hiatus and whatnot. Now in January, they've gone five and three. They're still hanging in at, at number 16 in the AP poll. And, you know, the last loss for Ohio State at Purdue, considering that huge second second half comeback, only losing on a last second shot. It's like, how much can you really fault them for that? Ohio State was favored to lose that game by 10 points anyway. But at the same time, you've got to think if you're Ohio State, at some point you've got to win a couple of these big road games against pretty tough Big Ten opponents because they've now struggled and kind of faltered in several of those. If you look at on the road at Wisconsin, on the road at Indiana, on the road at Purdue, I mean, at some point you'd like to have a big win on the road if you're Ohio State there. Dan, what, what are your takeaways from what you've seen from the Buckeyes as of late? And, and how would you kind of assess the, the month that was? Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing is you didn't have a extended slump coming off of that layoff because I thought that was a possibility, especially seeing some of the slumps we've seen from Chris Holtman's teams in January in the past. I thought there was a possibility of you know, them going on a run where they lost several games in a row that didn't happen. And so I think that's the good news. I think the bad news is if you look at the games they played in January, I think they lost to the three best teams they played, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Purdue. You look at the five wins, Nebraska, Northwestern, Penn State, IUPUI, and Minnesota. I don't know if there's any tournament teams in that uh, group that I just said. You'd probably know better than me on that, Griffin. But it's really... They probably since the Duke game, I guess they beat was I guess Wisconsin game was after that. So really the last like big win they've had was when they beat Wisconsin at home in early December before the layoff. And so, you know, I think this is a team that could use another, you know, big win. I think, you know, you, you think of this past weekend, you know, a great effort to come back and, and rally against Purdue almost pulled off an improbable comeback, but they didn't. And the reason why they didn't was because they were down by 20 points early in the second half. And so I think that's the big, you know, thing that, you know, if there's a negative with the team right now, it's that, you know, we're not, they haven't really gotten many big road wins. I mean, I, I do think the, I do think the win over Minnesota was big just in the sense that Ohio state is notoriously struggled in the barn up there. So to get their first win over Minnesota in what I believe was seven years, I think that was big just to get a, a good road win there on the road. But, you know, Minnesota is not a, a top team in the big 10. And so, you know, I think, you know, you go into February, you'd like to see this team, you know, get a big win or two on the road. But I think, you know, the, the encouraging thing is, I mean, I mean, for one, they're still undefeated at home. That, that's going to be put to the test here this week is they're going to play both Iowa and Maryland at home, which are probably two of the better teams they've played at home all year. But, you know, the good news is they've played well at home. It's hard to know exactly how all of this will translate to playing on neutral sites in March. But if you figure that really all of their struggles have come on the road, you know, if, if this team can you know, play at a high level, 
you know, you'd think they're going to do better on a neutral site than they're going to do a road, maybe not as well as home. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, I come out of, you know, I, I put the poll up on 11 Warriors after the game on Sunday and I asked the readers, you know, how is, you know, this season gone so far in your mind better about how I fought or worse. And the majority of readers said about how I fought, which, which that's about where I'm at too. Like, I think the season, you know, could be going better, but I also don't think it's really gone worse than I expected. Like, I think this team is about where I expected it would be right now. Obviously, you know, they, they've got to finish strong here, you know, going into February, going into March. You know, I think this will be another telling month coming up with some really big uh, conference games. You, know, you definitely want to see, you know, another winning month here in February and ideally a big win or two on the road, you know, to give this team some momentum going into March. Yeah, well, one positive thing for Ohio State is that seven of their final 11 games are actually going to be at home where they've performed a lot better. Also, road game at, at Michigan. Michigan is not the, the scary monster that a lot of people thought they would be this season. So you would like to see maybe that would be a nice road win for Ohio State. Uh, also on the road at Illinois, a, a ranked opponent there for Ohio State. That would be a, a big road win for them as well. I think specifically, I think the continued emergence of Malachi Branham is really a number two score for them is a very promising sign. I think some concerning signs are that suddenly Ohio State can't hit a three-pointer unless in the Purdue game, they did end up hitting some at the end of the game, but their percentages from three have been very bad as of late. And you look at a guy like Justin Ahrens, he's kind of fallen off the planet as of late. And then just, just contributions from a lot of these uh, senior guys and some of the starters as well. A lot of guys have, have kind of been up and down here in this stretch since returning from that long hiatus. But yeah, like you said, on the poll, when I saw that, I personally voted for it's gone how I expected it to. And but now, you know, you have to talk about this team with Justice Suing being, being a guy that was thought to be maybe the second best player on the team. He's been out basically all season. And we honestly, you know, I think me and you both have our doubts that, that he him or Seth Towns is actually going to return the season for Ohio State. But, you know, maybe if they do. At the end of the season, that can give Ohio State maybe a little bit of a, a boost, but I, I have my doubts. Yeah, I'm laughing a little bit just because I feel like literally we've heard Chris Holtman say the same thing about Justice Suing and Seth Towns for two months. Like he gets asked like every press conference, every radio show, what's up with Justice Suing and Seth Towns? And every time it's there's no real update. They're making progress, but we still have no idea when we come back. And it's like it's February now. Like they're running out of time for those guys to come back. So I think it's definitely at this point within the realm of possibility that we're not going to see either of those guys play again this year. Maybe we do, but you know, you, you got to think that if we don't start hearing about some more real progress of those guys in the next couple of weeks, at some point you have to wonder whether it even makes sense to bring them back at all this year, because you know they, they both still have an additional year of eligibility anyway. So it wouldn't be a situation of preserving their eligibility, but just in the sense of, you know, it, it, you can't necessarily just break these guys in in the NCAA tournament. Like at some point, if those guys can't get back by the end of a regular season, there comes a point of how much can they really contribute, even if they do come back. And so I, I do think they're running out of time there. But right now, they've got to move forward, you know, with the guys they have, which I mean, I think they, you know, I think they've got a solid group. And I think I said, I think Malachi Branham's emergence as a real second scorer. I think that's huge for them. You know, like you said, I think, the, you know, the free point shooting, they've got to get more consistent with that. And 
you know, I still think there's a concern. You kind of saw that, you know, both sides of a coin in the games last week where against Minnesota, they, they were dominant on in the post in that game. I mean, absolutely dominant. I mean, they outrounded they, the rebounding numbers were crazy. I don't even remember off the top of my head. They were crazy. Like how badly Ohio state out rebounded Minnesota. Like they dominated in a post in that game. And then they go to the Purdue game and it was just clear that they had no answer for Zach Eady. They just didn't have anybody who could match up with seven foot four Zach Eady. So you kind of saw both sides of that coin there in terms of, you know, this being a team that, you know, they have good post players, but they don't have that great size. So there's going to be certain teams they play, teams that have a real book, you know, real good seven footer. But I think Ohio State's going to continue to struggle with defending those teams. But, you know, against teams that don't have that, you know, I think guys like, you know, Zed Key and Kyle Young can, you know, give them really quality play. And, you know, there's the flip side of that equation of, you know, maybe a team with a guy like a Zach Eady, maybe they struggle to defend Ohio State the way they play. Again, you know, whether Ohio State can get hot, you know, shooting the free ball again is going to have a big part of that. And, you know, as I mentioned before, another big week coming up for Ohio State basketball, two home games against Iowa and Maryland. What do you think, Griffin, when we're back here next week, will Ohio State still be undefeated at home? I believe they will. I think they'll, they'll be favored in both of those games. Iowa might be a tough out because they do have Keegan Murray, who is one of the nation's leading scorers, 22.3 points per game, one of the best players in the Big Ten, who's made a huge leap in his second year. So they might be a tougher out, but I think Ohio State should win those two games at home and start 11-0 and at the Schottenstein Center this year. Well, we can probably talk a little bit more basketball next week. I'm sure we'll have plenty more football to talk about next week as well as we continue on with the off season here on real pod Wednesday. So thanks again for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you again soon.